Hello and welcome back to the Anna Castle podcast. I'm Deborah Beecroft. And I'm Daniel Watkins. And on today's episode, we are joined by Ian Wielden, Senior Lecturer from the School of Arts and Cultures at Newcastle University. As well as teaching subjects such as communication and learning in museums, galleries and heritage, and working closely with postgraduate students at the university, Ian runs the Cultural Peeps Careers Pathway podcast projects, which aim to help make sense of the different career pathways that could be taken in arts and culture. Daniel spoke to Ian about the project, his own background, and what makes heritage sites like Anna Castle so engaging for so many people. Here's that conversation. Please enjoy. We are very happy to be joined on this episode of the Annette Castle podcast by Ian Wielden from Newcastle University. How are you today, Ian? I'm very well, thank you. Let's start with a little bit about you. So what, what's your background? What do you do at Newcastle Uni? Okay, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. So as he said, my name's Ian Wielden. I'm a senior lecturer at Newcastle University, and I teach primarily in the School of Arts and Cultures um, in a department called Media, Culture and Heritage. And I teach mainly across three programs and they relate to heritage museum and galleries so the three programs are museum studies curating art and global heritage management global heritage so you've got quite a wide scope of all sorts of different yeah so that's then yeah so that's a program which has relaunched this year so it was previously called heritage studies and we're responding to some quite significant changes that are happening around the world and in that particular area so it's a slight change of focus for that so we're kind of looking at a a, a wider picture now on that program museums galleries heritage uh, they're things that a lot of people feel don't change but actually behind the scenes things are changing all the time even in places like castles that have stood for a huge amount of time what's actually happening does evolve doesn't it yeah i mean i think that that there are in in this country there are certain i guess consistent issues that are facing the the sector or i'm saying sector there and i'm kind of putting all three together and i might at some points call them sectors and separate them out for because there are some unique challenges with each of them but I think that an ongoing issue, particularly in this country, is about um, money and it's about kind of how you keep things going. I think we've had particular challenges in that area over the last 13 years or so. Um, it's quite interesting on that front. I was looking at a report from uh, about 20 years ago, a bit more than that, about 20 years ago, which was talking about what it would take to get the cultural sector kind of up off its knees, which was something that was commissioned by the then government, I think it's 2001, and it's remarkable how many of those issues have returned, and you know, I think that there's massive challenges happening there, particularly around cost of living, things that are happening at the moment, so we tend to work in buildings that are really not very energy efficient, particularly old buildings or, you know, converted buildings or whatever that might be. And that's that's a major, major challenge. I think the other thing that's happening, and we talked about it just before, is the echo of COVID. I think the recovery issue around COVID is something that's hugely impacted and continuing to impact the sector. 
on, on multiple fronts, I think that there are still markets missing from the tourism element, uh, you know, China, for example. And I think there's also echoes there in terms of recruitment in certain areas. So a lot of venues that I talk to and have spoken to through some of the work that I do, some of the research that I'm doing, have talked about issues that relate to recruitment around the hospitality side of it, which is a major income generation for a lot of cultural venues. Other things that are happening in the sector, I think that there's um, some really positive moves happening in the inclusivity and diversity areas, so trying to broaden out both the relevance of particular venues and looking at how they serve their communities, but also looking at who works in them, whose stories they're telling, and who represents those in terms of boards and trustees and all of those kinds of things. I think linked to that in some ways, decolonisation is quite an interesting and, and much needed area of work that's happening. I think that there's high profile bits of decolonisation happening, certainly around, um, you know, the kind of idea that, or the arguments about whether we should be repatriating objects to original countries of origin um, with dubious provenance. But there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes, which is looking at changing policy and structure and thinking quite laterally about how different communities are represented there within the structures. So I think the other area of work that's really interesting is around climate, not just in terms of how buildings can become more energy efficient or organisations can become more responsible or carbon neutral, but also what kinds of roles these organisations should take in that broader dialogue you know, across society. These are all big issues that affect all different areas of society and they're all reflected in these great places that people go to visit. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You've spoken to people from across the sector for your podcast, Cultural Peeps, so could you tell us a little bit about that and the project behind it? Cultural Peeps is an ongoing podcast series which looks at the career decisions that individuals make as they're working within our sector and and that really comes from some work that I did as a lecturer at, at university so for 17 years I, I looked after I'm not currently looking after but I looked after placements and that, that kind of vocational element of our programs in terms of trying to towards the end of the programs trying to provide students with the opportunity to get out in into the workplace um, and get some kind of real-world experience that helps them to contextualise some of the other work that we've done on the programme. And through that, we have conversations very early in the programme with them about what it is that they want to do. And because we're speaking to them quite early on in their journey, there is a limited vocabulary, which isn't necessarily their fault, and maybe we'll get on to why that's the case a little bit later on. But that's it's both a slightly frustrating thing if you're organising placements because probably about 80-90% of the students will come in and you say, what do you think you want to do? And they will say, I want to be a curator because that's the word that they tend to understand as being central to cultural sector work. Whereas when you actually drill down into that, they want to do something that's quite different. And, and plus the word curator means loads of different things depending on where you work and in what context you work. So being a curator in English heritage is totally different from being a contemporary art curator. So I, I talked to the students about how we could help them to think about their vocabulary around job titles and, and what we could do to support them. And one of the things that they came back with, um, which is, 
is both helpful from a student perspective and unhelpful from a, a, a kind of perspective of somebody that's trying to, to kind of think about ways of disseminating some of this information is, is that they said, yeah, we want loads more information, but we don't want any more lectures and we don't want any, we don't do any more work that <laughs> relates to this. So we just want it beamed into our, into our brains in some way. So I, I went on holiday and kind of listened to, listened to a lot of podcasts and thought this is a natural format for this. So what I embarked on really was a series of, of long-form conversations with people about how they got to where they are and what their jobs look and, and feel like on a day-to-day basis. So it's about kind of exploring what it's like to work in particular venues, what it is that that they value, which I think is a tremendously important part of, of why people work in this sector, and and kind of how they got there. Because I think that sometimes, well, a student say to me that when when they somebody comes in to speak to them, they often put a slide up that has a list of jobs, and then it looks like they've had some kind of well thought out magical career path that's moved them through it. Whereas really, there's probably something messy and knotty and you know, I had kids and I wanted to move here or, you know, whatever it is, or had to care for parents or... And there's normally a human element to all of that, which I think sometimes gets a little bit disregarded. So we recorded... The first uh, set of recordings was, was 20 recordings, and, and they went out in 2019. And then there was a second set, which was due to go out around Easter 2020, which got parked due to the COVID pandemic. And then uh, we've started again, so there's another 20 episodes that will be out before the end of the year. They look at everything really from heritage, uh, museums, galleries, but I've also expanded that slightly this year to look at some of the more theatre-based careers because they are starting to cross over. Those, those kind of professionals are crossing over into heritage quite a lot now. A crossover between theatre and heritage. Yeah, so I think there's been a, a kind of rise in that kind of experiential offer in certain types of heritage sites. So, you know, certainly towards the end of, of last year, I kind of visited quite a few sites where they were working with theatre companies to, to put, put on kind of more experiential and there might be one-off kind of activities. It might last a few weeks, but you would go in and have quite a different experience on the site to the one that you would normally have. Here in the northeast, Newcastle Uni, we're at Annick. Castles are a big part of the heritage of the region. For the northeast, how important do you think places like Annick castles are to creating those experiences for people and finding that way in to the sector? Yeah, I think castles are a big part of Northumberland's offer. So I, I think in terms of tourism, they're, they're really at the forefront of that offer. It's, it's kind of castles and coastlines are the, the two big things there. And I think uh, from a certainly from a tourism perspective, it's a way of kind of, I guess, drawing tourists in, um, which feeds into the local economy. But you're, it's also given a reason for tourists to stop where on the, they're on the way to maybe Edinburgh if they're staying in London or wherever it might be. We have a huge number of castles here, which is great for our programme because we use lots of them you know, in terms of our teaching and it means that we can get out there and, and kind of visit those sites. I think that in terms of identity, it's a more complicated issue. I, I'd be interested to know what you think of this, actually, but it's a, I think it's a more complicated issue because it's one of those things that I think when people come to visit, let's go and take them to some castles, and then people's relationships with castles are sometimes a bit more complicated. So I don't know whether that rings true for you there. I, I have never lived anywhere that didn't have a castle. <laughs> um, so for me, they've always just been part of 
the background. And I think a lot of people living in Northumberland, you have a castle in the town or the village where you live, but you don't necessarily think about it that much. It's just there, and it's just always been there. They're, they're just part of... It's an interesting life. thing, that, yeah. isn't it? Because it's, it's both an integral part of an identity of the region, but then when it comes to that individual identity, I think it's much more complicated. But yeah, everybody who works here and is involved with it is really proud of it and wants to yeah. tell everybody else about it. But if you are just living across the street from it, you, it it's like next door. Yeah. It just happens to be a thousand-year-old castle. And when you say that to people from America or uh, Australia who don't have castles everywhere, it reminds you how special and significant these places can be. It's an interesting thing. I think that we have a quite an unusual relationship with our history and heritage in this country. We don't necessarily use it to confront our future in a, in a way that a lot of other countries do. So I think that we kind of... It, we use it as a hobby a lot of the time. I think that's quite a complicated thing. So it's something that we decide to engage with rather than allow it to represent us in a particular way. It is just part of life and you almost don't think about the history behind it. It's just always been there. I think that's the case in a, a lot of those towns across Northumberland. I mean, you, you'll always get a hardcore of people who are really interested in that local history element. But I think for a lot of other people, it, it, the identity is quite a fluid thing in terms of how it feeds into their identity it's quite a fluid thing it does work as a representation and everybody who works here particularly if they have friends or family coming to visit always bring, bring them they yeah. always bring them they want we all want to show off yeah the castle it's, an, to... it's a really odd thing isn't it it's a real sense of pride there are different reasons that people visit these kind of sites as well aren't there there are there are some people who you say castle to and they immediately think depending on which generation they are they might think Frozen or Cinderella or Game of Thrones or whatever. And other people think romantic, you know, Turner-esque, shrouded in clouds. Other people are interested in the architecture of it or the, the, the actual history or it might be that they're interested in the technological advancements that came. But it, it, there are so many different motivations for engagement there that it's quite difficult to pin it down. Annick Castle's lucky to have so many different parts of that history because it's always evolved over time. It hasn't stayed as a ruin. Yeah. But we've been talking about history quite a lot and you were talking about heritage quite yep. a lot as well. And the difference between the two is probably another complicated thing. Where where does history stop and heritage start? Do, are, are they the same thing? Crikey, that's a, that's a big question. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think history arguably is a... a a study of the past so you know it's it's kind of what happened and with that comes multiple perspectives and every story has its own perspective that's attached to that and you can separate that down in, in whatever ways you might want to to make it more manageable you know whether it's geographical or political or economic or social whatever you know um, environmental and heritage is is a more well, heritage, I think it has more of a relationship with the, the material that's left behind and the culture that's left behind. So you can split that down again into very crudely, or maybe split it down here into cultural property. So you're thinking about buildings or objects that might make up um, a museum collection or you know, that represent something from the past or piece of, we're in this room, piece of furniture or whatever it might be. You have intangible heritage, which is more about language or customs or traditions that exist there. 
there's the landscape, the heritage of the landscape, which in some cases has been dramatically altered or changed by humans. And there are obviously environmental issues there. And then you have uh, digital heritage, which I think then, like, this is where it starts to overlap back into cultural property uh, uh, in some ways, because I think that you know, there are digital spaces where some of the conversations happen that almost feel like you know, new town halls or whatever, but they're all existing online. So there are, there are differences between history and heritage. And I think that certainly within academia, they're kind of broken down into those, but I, I kind of often wonder how much the general public really make a distinction between those. They kind of, your average visitor that comes here probably won't make that distinction between history and heritage. But for somebody who's working, creating these things, it's good to have. Yeah, I think understanding what the parameters of, of those are, or kind of what, what area you're interested in, is, is certainly important. So it might be that you specialise in a particular area of heritage, or it might be that you specialise in a particular um, area of cultural property, you know, whether it's good work for English uh, heritage and be a properties curator and deal with the fabric of building all day every day or it might be that you work in an archive and you're dealing with you know paper or whatever it might be so there's a subsets of skills that are attached to each of those different kind of career interests or career paths and you've spoken to people from across all these different career interests have you found over 40 episodes that there's a lot that people have in common about what they love about working in these sectors or yeah. People got in and out of it for completely different reasons. There are some similarities that, that fall not across all of the interviews, but are certainly there across a lot of them. I would say that the thing that is apparent from an interviewer's perspective on this is that these kinds of careers are almost invisible, um, certainly at primary, secondary age. It's not until either late A-level or you know, university degree that this becomes a kind of viable, oh, I could actually do this. And I think that goes back to that kind of idea of heritage or history as a hobby. You know, it's not a kind of potential serious career in some way. And I, I don't think that's helped by the way that some of the conversations might be set up politically around that. But that's something that's really apparent. So people tend to love history as a subject at school. They loved going to places. They, they have really vivid memories of this particular visit to a place that really sparked their imagination and then it kind of disappears off and and there's not much there until somebody kind of plugs a later interest back into that and says well actually these two things fit together and this is a, a potential career path there so that that's something that's that's definitely present in the interviews I think there is a commonality as well between people figuring out what their values are so I think that a lot of people that work within the cultural sector, and, and that's more broadly within the cultural sector, have worked out really what, what they stand for and what they want to contribute. So whether that's you know some kind of improvement in terms of society or trying to help people to understand the world that they live in, so that they're offering a particular type of skill set there to a venue. I think that there is a thing as well about kind of gravitating towards being in a gang and you know that's a, a kind of group of like-minded people that all work in venues together so some of the people that I've interviewed talk about having worked in more commercial sectors or explicitly profit-driven sectors and feeling very uncomfortable and have gravitated towards 
back to either further education to get to retrain or that they've kind of found a way within into the cultural sector there through that through that path so that there are there are some commonalities there there are certainly some similarities in terms of the difficulty of getting into the sector that exists there particularly around the need for experience for entry-level jobs which has, has created I think problems in terms of inclusivity and and led to a lack of diversity within within the sector because you you have to have a particular set of resources available to you to be able to volunteer so i think that there's some some kind of commonality there being able to open resources to people that encourage discussion and debate and that feed into those kinds of ideas of identity so how did we get here and what does it mean to be you know us and what does the future look like i think that there is there is a value that a lot of the participants in the podcast see there so it's about trying to encourage debate and thinking about well how can we keep this debate going that will help inform you know future generations so after studying this after going on their placements after listening to this podcast do you find that that vocabulary you mentioned before is broadened out and it's more than just being a curator when you're part of heritage when you're part of a museum when you're part of a castle in some ways i think that the podcast has helped with that i think it's had some unexpected knock-on effects so we made it available to the the general public so it's out there on spotify or apple or whatever platform that you would listen to your uh, podcast on it's it's kind of available everywhere and I wanted to do that because I think that the conversations that happen behind closed doors that most early career professionals want to hear or engage with for a number of reasons. I think that people, you know, it makes people feel slightly better that, that other people aren't, haven't got these immaculate career structures that, you know, have, have, have just happened to them, that there's always some kind of tangled knot there. I still think it's, it's, we still have an issue with that vocabulary, but I think it's about trying to get the students and early career professionals to think about the range of different job opportunities out there, because there are a, a huge number of potential pathways that you can take. You know, you could be doing something extremely specialist around co-production or co-curation. And that would have its own job title, or you might be a, a kind of programmer, which has a curatorial element. And on the other hand, you might be working in learning and doing really interesting work there. And sometimes all of these things cross over. So I'm not sure it's solved any problems in that sense. But the idea is, is that it's a lasting resource that people will be able to tap into. My only issue, I think, with it is, is that people tend to just listen to the episodes where they can identify with the job title, which is kind of doesn't solve the problem, if you see what I mean. I am one of these episodes. <laughs> you are one of the, you are, you are indeed. Yeah. So what was the impact of Cultural Peeps? What's the legacy that you found it's had? So we made the podcast available on um, as many platforms as we could. So it, it's, it's out there publicly. It wasn't just a resource that's for our students because... I thought there was a value for early career professionals. Um, so we, you know, we can track the, the statistics there and kind of figure out kind of where people are listening to that. And we can see that that's popping up at different universities, which is really encouraging because it's an open resource. And the idea is, is that it's a bank of, of interviews which you can continually go back to. You can dip in and out of. You don't necessarily have to listen to all of them. So it's not a sequential series. Um, so... The idea is is that you can you can listen to the stories of somebody that you might 
know, you might admire, or it might be that you don't know anything about, but you look at the job title and think, that's interesting, how do, you, how do I get into that? So I think that in that sense, it, it's out there and is a continually available resource, which that was the goal, and it will continue to grow. And I'm hoping that over time and as the sector changes, this will become a little document about what the sector felt like at this particular time. So it's a resource that's there and out there and, and hopefully will continue to be used by not just students, but by everybody. Where can people go if they want to find out more about it or if they want to look into studying heritage? And some of these programmes sound like something that people think, actually, that's what I want to do. Where, where would you direct them? Yeah, so for the podcast, um, as I said, you can listen to the podcast on pretty much any platform so you should just be able to search for the podcast or you can go to the source page which is a soundcloud page um, just google cultural peeps and it will take you there and then there are also links through the various social media platforms as well so you can you can follow us on twitter facebook um, instagram and linkedin linkedin is probably the best place for some of these career conversations if people are interested in engaging with that stuff at the moment and then in terms of the, the programs that we run at the university so there's three programs so there's museum studies curating art and global heritage management and you can find those on the university webpage that's newcastle university and they're postgraduate programs or alternatively you can uh, message me and i will um, answer any questions I'm, I'm the admissions officer for those programs so i'm more than happy to field questions so you can either find my email address through the university website or you can direct message me through twitter Excellent. Well, that probably brings us to a conclusion. So I will say thank you very much for joining us on the Annick Castle podcast and good luck with the future of cultural peeps. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. To find out more about the Cultural Peeps Careers Pathway Project, please visit soundcloud.com slash culturalpeeps or culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Annick Castle podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Share it with your friends and let us know what you think by emailing podcast at annickcastle.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, I've been Daniel. And I've been Deborah. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye.